Father Augustine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, thank you so much for accepting uh, the invitation. I know that it's really early over there, and um, I just want to get the pronunciation of the city right. Is it Norcia or Nursia? Norcia. 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 Perfect. Um, Spanish, Italian is very close, but still there are some several different things that um, I'm like, yeah, this is this is different. Um, thank you uh, for taking the time. Uh, I mean, you you've been. We were talking before we we started uh, the recording that you've been up for three hours. So, uh, life of a monk. Um, sometimes I feel like I, in a way, as a as a husband and father, I. I uh, also have the bells that call me, uh, not necessarily to prayer, but my children wake up sometimes at odd hours of the night. So there's not quite the same, but um, waking up in the middle of the night. That's right. some prayer in its own regard, I think, right, Father? It could be constituted as sacrificial love. So That's right. And it's that's what God's calling you to, to do right mm -hmm. then is uh and to your children and help them go back to sleep or yeah. deal with their fever and uh you know you can also pray when you're when you're holding them and mm -hmm. uh trying to get them to go back to sleep it's it's not that they're incompatible yeah that's true um so father um for those that don't know you can you can you um tell us a little bit about yourself how uh did you end up being a, a benedictine monk in italy uh, and, and how was that like? Sure. So I'm originally from South Carolina. I grew up not Catholic and we went to church a little bit, but I wouldn't really say that I was very Christian or even religious. Um, so a pretty kind of normal, if you will, secular upbringing. But for high school, my parents, they wanted to send me to a good school. So they sent me to nearby Catholic school for high school. And the main desire was to have a good education, which, which is good. Um, but at the Catholic school, there was also religion class. So I was exposed to the scriptures and the faith. And at first I thought, this is all very strange and how can anyone believe all of this? It's crazy. <laughs> um, I mean, it is crazy. That is, it's not, it's not just a purely natural, rational religion. You know, it's, it's really supernatural. Yes. And so um, if you don't have faith, it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but then the second year, sophomore year of high school, we started studying church history, reading about the church fathers, the doctors, the different early saints and their witness, the martyrs. And... I started to kind of come around and say, gosh, maybe this is real. You know, it's uh, Christ has impacted and changed the lives of so many millions of people. And um, and that was very beautiful. Um, we also read St. Augustine's Confessions. Okay. And that work really, really spoke to me, really moved me. And uh, so I then sort of started to, to believe and I thought, you know, gosh, this is true. Um, but then it still took more time to kind of really want to make the commitment and plunge, you know, take the plunge and mm -hmm. yeah. uh, live the faith. Um, but then thanks to God's grace and, and my cooperation with it, I entered the church my junior year of high school. Then for college, I went to Thomas Aquinas College in California, mm -hmm. uh, study great books, liberal arts, and had a very, very good, beautiful experience there, living in a, a small Catholic community, um, studying great things, uh, the truth, and trying trying to learn more about reality and about God and, and myself too. And that was very good. Um, had a had a girlfriend at the beginning in fresh freshman year, and that went well, but. Uh, I realized that I hadn't really done kind of proper discernment. I hadn't figured out what my vocation was. Mm -hmm. And uh, her father said to me, are you sure that you're not supposed to become a priest? <laughs> uh, and I wasn't really sure. 
Uh, I that is, I hadn't thought about it that, that well or that seriously. Um, and I realized that I just wasn't quite ready to kind of move forward and continue in that relationship. So mm -hmm. um, we stopped, stopped seeing each other. But then um, the chaplain at the college, he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. Uh, he said, do you want to become a religious, become a priest or get married? And I said, I don't know. They both, you know, they all seem pretty good. And he said, well, then you should do the one that's objectively speaking better and higher and more likely to make you a saint. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, that makes sense. That's a good argument. Um, and then the next step was to, to go see and to figure out, is this my vocation? Like, do I have a religious vocation? Um, so then I visited some different communities and I first came to Norcia uh, after my sophomore year of college, spent, spent a month here in the summer and had a very, very beautiful moving experience. Um, I really saw that God was calling me here to help me grow in my faith and also really begin to work on some of my struggles, some of my sins. Uh, you know, everyone has baggage from growing up, things that things that they kind of receive from from others, but also that they accumulate through through their own actions. And uh, yeah. I really was quite convinced that God wanted me to, to work on those things, work on myself and really grow closer to him here at this monastery. So I went back, finished school and then joined the monastery a couple months after graduation. Um, what year was that? I studied Italian right after graduation uh, because I knew I was coming to Italy and wanted to be able to speak <laughs> to people. Locals, yeah. um, and, and, and what year did you go to begin your novitiate? So I entered the monastery in 2013. 2013. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and... Um, I'm a big fan of Father uh, Cassian Folsom. I think that he has such a gravitas mm -hmm. to his voice. <laughs> and uh, uh, he is such a great preacher. I have listened to some of his talks um, uh, on YouTube. Um, and he just has like this, he exudes like this uh, holiness to me, at least, that makes me want to do better with, with my walk of faith and growing closer to the Lord. Um, so he was in Indiana, but then moved to Rome to to start the the monastery. I, I guess is a way to to put it in in 1988. Um, would you happen to know a little bit more of um, what was the motivation to go back to the, the birthplace of Saint Benedict to have monks again there? Sure. So, yeah, like you said, we, we started out in Rome, but very quickly it, it became clear that, um, well, when you read the monastic history, you kind of see most monasteries are in uh, deserted, removed places. That is, they're usually not in cities or bustling metropolises. Um, monks really need a bit of peace and silence. And so that, that became pretty clear to us uh, quite quickly that, um, it's difficult to have a monastery in a big city. Um, and I really think, you know, God and St. Benedict wanted us here. So the, there was uh, the, the ancient monastery that's built over the birthplace of St. Benedict had just been restored. Some work had just been finished and it was empty and we were looking for a place. And so God really, you know, was a matchmaker and brought those two things together. And um, it's very beautiful to be able to be at the birthplace of St. Benedict and be the guardians and custodians of, of uh, the, the house where he was born and the in, in the town where he grew up. Wow, that is insane to think of. Uh, you are encrusted in a piece of history of the Catholic Church. Um, Gustavo of the world, Nairobi, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Literally. we have done episodes on how monasticism built Western civilization and how we are big fans of mm -hmm. monks in general, but uh, in Benedictine monks in particular. 
um, I, I actually tried and failed to create a blog based specifically in the rule going one by one on mm -hmm. it. I lasted until like maybe like the 10th or 12th <laughs> rule and then abandoned it in, in lieu of this podcast. That's pretty oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, 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 it has a lot of like wisdom for even, you know, married men yeah. that are living their vocation because the, there are things that you can apply to, to daily life that maybe mm -hmm. people think like, that's well, that's just for, for the monks living in the monastery. But, um, my wife is like, we cannot have sure. like a, a, a monastery at home. Have you have you heard how loud your children are? I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the silence and, and a little bit envious. But <laughs> so, okay, so it's 2013. You are in 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 Norcia, um, and um, a, a year before you entered the monastery, Birra Nursia became a thing. Um. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's one of the things that uh, I'm really interested to know a little bit more about the, the history. Um, first off, what was your first job in the brewery? Sure. So I'll start with the little um, preface that is, I think this is also part of divine mm -hmm. providence. I um, in high school, I, you know, young kids are interested in different things and. I, for some reason, um, developed an interest in homebrewing. So, um, came in handy, and not just so I could drink alcohol, but but it's really kind of a neat yeah. blend of cooking and science, um, and you get to really create something um, that's it's very special. And you know, a lot of Americans do it. It's quite popular in the United States. So, so we did homebrewing, and I continued to do that through college, and then. When I visited the monastery uh, in 2011, they were thinking about, you know, opening the brewery, but it hadn't happened yet. That is, they were kind of planning and doing some small test recipes okay. and things like that. Um, and then I really kind of in my heart knew I wanted to join before the brewery opened. So I didn't join because the monastery has a brewery. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it was sort of, Part of Providence that, you know, I was kind of called at a certain time when, you know, eventually I would take a pretty big role in the brewery later on. The, but when I first joined, that is when people first joined, uh, uh, they usually aren't given too much work because they need to focus on prayer. They need to focus on their classes, their formation as monks and also their academic spiritual formation. So. At first, I had many different jobs. I helped set up for meals. I helped polish candlesticks. I did different things, cleaning. Um, then I did get involved in the brewery pretty early on as well um, as kind of an assistant, helping with, with the bottling days, putting the bottles on the conveyor belt, taking them off, making boxes, filling the boxes with beer, mm -hmm. more of the packaging, preparing of bottles and the, and the shipments to send out. Um, and then that sort of continued and I, I've, I've been working in the brewery ever since. Nice. Uh, well, so it seems like divine providence pretty much set up the stage for, you know, you, um, you were ordained, uh, in 2018. Is that right? I, I took my, yeah, my psalm vows, my final vows in 2018. Is that different That's right, from, yeah. um, ordination to the priesthood? That's right. So, you know, as, as religious, we, as monks, as religious, our main thing that defines us is, is the vows that we take. So, you know, the, the traditional vows for most religious orders is poverty, chastity, and obedience. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard of those. And most religious, that is all religious, take those. And, and monks do as well. But Benedictines actually have two additional, they have some special vows that they take as well. One is stability, which means you vow to remain in the monastery for your whole life and not move around. That is, you remain in this monastery as your family, as your place where God's calling you to mm -hmm. seek your salvation. And also you vow to continue your conversion, conversion of life. Um, so you're, you're making a public promise to God 
in front of everyone that you will continue to 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 fight and to strive to cooperate with his grace and and become a saint um so we all take those vows you in your formation you have your novitiate and then you take temporary vows which only last for three years and then god willing after that time period you take your final vows which are for life and then some monks become priests uh and some don't that is the main kind of core of our vocation is to be a monk. And then God and the superior then calls some men to become priests as well. But that's something that usually comes afterwards and you have to do further studies. And it depends on the needs of the monastery, whether they need more priests. It depends on you and, you know, whether you, you want to do it and the superior thinks that you have, you know, the additional qualities that, that would uh, be suited for the priesthood. So okay. it kind of depends. Um, gotcha. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I jumped again on that, but this is a very good differentiation. Thank you for, for making uh, that mm -hmm. clarification. Um, so I have tasted both the Beyonda and the Extra uh, beers. And for those that don't know, um, could you uh, tell us a little bit more about the two styles of beer? What was the decision for making like a Belgian style beer versus like other styles of, of beer and, and a little bit of the tradition of beer making in, in the Catholic Church? Sure. Yeah, so we, um, well, before we opened the brewery, we had a gift shop in town uh, in Norcha. And we sold monastic beer, like Chimay, uh, some of the other Trappist beers. And they always sold very well, and people like them yeah. because they're very good. And we would sometimes drink them as well on feast days, uh, Sundays and feast days. We would drink them usually at dinner as a kind of special treat for us. So, you know, those beers were kind of part of our life even before we had a brewery. Uh, the... The monastic brewing tradition is is basically kind of centered in Belgium, you know, and um, it seemed like the logical kind of fit for us, uh, Belgian style beer, to kind of harmonize with the, the previous monastic brewing tradition. We also, mm, we wanted we wanted the beer to pair with and complement the the rich culinary tradition of Norcia. Norcia is a very old town. It's a, it's a Roman kind of outpost town that um, is quite old and, and it has a very, very long tradition of making salami, making different mm -hmm. cured meats and things like that. They would keep the pigs up here in the mountains because there are lots of forests with acorns and things for the pigs to eat. So Norcia is very famous in, in Italy even for its salami, for its prosciutto, mm. also okay. for black truffle, uh, which is quite an <laughs> expensive delicacy and, and very tasty as well. So Norcia already had this strong kind of tradition of, of very, very good food. And we wanted to, to do something to support ourselves that paired with and complemented mm. this tradition, but didn't compete with it directly. So we didn't start making our own salami. Also, because we don't eat meat as monks, uh, according to the rule, uh, we we don't eat meat. Um, but we also didn't want to compete with the town. We wanted to kind of create something that was a, a collaboration and something that enriched the whole town. And also was was something that um, the different restaurants and uh, meat shops could sell and also have a little bit of profit for themselves. So... The neat thing about Norcia is it's quite cold here. It's up in the mountains to 800, 800 meters above sea level, so about 2,400 feet. And mm. they don't really grow wine here. There's not a, there's not a commercial uh, wine-growing presence. You know, Tuscany, even other parts of our province of Umbria, they're very good wines. But in Norcia, they don't. So we kind of had this idea, well, why don't we create a drink that, that can pair with the food and isn't wine because wine doesn't work here. Ah, let's make beer, you know, because we're also, we're monks. So it, it all kind of just uh, fell into place like that. Um, and we chose to call the beer, Beer Nursia, 
to emphasize this link with the town. Nursia is the yeah. town name Norcia okay. in Latin. So St. Benedict would have known this town as Nursia. Um, so we, we chose the name specifically for that because we didn't want the beard just to be for us, but to be something that we we share with the town and we we really use to to strengthen the, the roots of our monastery and kind of the, the whole that's culture wow, in this like place. A, okay. So that's a symbiotic a relationship <laughs> between the place and the time and right. the community. That... And that really upholds the tradition of being in the outskirts, right? Because St. Benedict fled, not, not fled, but he left a, a very populated and very crumbly Rome to to be a hermit, to be away. In that right. sense, you know, I think obviously you guys are still uh, living that tradition, but really making the most out of your geographic location and providing, like you said, that complementary uh, uh, touch to a very active culinary scene i would i would call it based on what you're describing can't wait to try it though so <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting norcia in italy is is quite famous and in fact they call all the kind of cured meat salami shops norcinerie that is norcia shops oh, wow. because norcia is really where uh kind of one might say where it all started and and a lot of italians in the summertime especially They come to Norcia for the food. They come here to eat. Um, mm -hmm. They also come up to the mountains because it's a little bit cooler at night. Around yeah. Rome, uh, it's very it's very hot in the summer and humid, and you mm -hmm. can't sleep well at night because it's so hot. And Italians have a an interesting aversion to air conditioning. They they generally speaking don't approve of it, and they think it's bad for you and will get you sick and things like that. Um, and maybe they're right. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, like... that was a culture shock for, <laughs> for sure. When we, my wife and I were in, in SCC, it was like, where's the, where's the AC? I was like, you open the window. That's your AC. <laughs> yeah. No, in, in the Mediterranean climate, it does cool off at night somewhat. Uh, but they like to come up to the mountains in the summertime and, and cool off and, and eat well. Because that's one of the most important things for Italians is, uh, yeah. is eating well. Meals. Mm -hmm. oh, it's, it was like Mexicans, we can, we can, uh, we were both Mexicans, so we can relate to that. Definitely. Okay. So I have in front of me the tasting notes of the Bionda. I'm more interesting the food pairings, not that you gave that, uh, information about, yes. um, what, what it is. So starters and first courses with cheese and vegetables, spinach and ricotta tart, artichoke tortellini. A top taleggio fondue. Hopefully, I said that mm -hmm. right. Oven cooked with meats, pizzas, four seasons, white pizza with artichokes and cured ham. Look at that. Oh. Beautiful. So I have a Look beer. at that. Um, one other thing I forgot to mention is you see the name here, Nursia, but also up here is the rose window of the Basilica of St. Benedict. So we, nice. we kind of chose as our part of our logo and, and, and motto. Um, this link with the birthplace of St. Benedict as well. So this is the, as you were saying, this is the Beyond the Beer. Um, generally speaking, what I tell people, especially people who don't know a lot about beer, is that you want to drink this beer when you might want to have white wine. So it goes better with lighter foods, you know, um, lighter appetizers, uh, pastas with cream sauces, fish, Uh, chicken, turkey, you know, anything that's not too heavy, this goes very well. Mm. It's a, as we said, it's a Belgian style ale. It's, it's got a little bit, it's got a, I would say a nice hop flavor profile, but it's not super bitter. It's not like an IPA. That is, we use yeah. in both of our beers, we use European style hops, which are a little bit more discreet and kind of subtle. Um, They do contribute nice flavors, but they don't have the kind of over-the-top punch you in the face, punch, uh, yeah. citrus kind of mean flavors of the American hops that they use in IPAs, which are also very good beers. I like those very much as well. But um, the emphasis for these beers is, is drinkability 
and kind of a crisp, refreshing character that will, um, you know, go well with the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the U.S. There's a craze. Everyone is doing IPAs and hazies and all this stuff, and like. Can we just tone it down a little bit? Like, like everybody has five different kinds of APA, yeah. a, IPAs, um, right. and 120 uh, IBUs. Right. And That's a lot of like, IBUs. Why? Why? Not? <laughs> <laughs> why do you want to taste resin when you drink? Yeah. Your beer. Um, right. I mean, I do enjoy them, but come on. Right. Everything in moderation. Mm -hmm. um, and can you talk a little bit about the the, the other beer that you the that you produce in the monastery, the extra? Sure. So I have that here too. This is the extra with the blue label. It's called extra because it's extra good or extra strong. You can kind of fill in the the yeah. <laughs> adjective there. Um, this is a, a dark beer. It's 10%. But we also use sugar. We use some candy caramel kind of, yeah, caramelized sugar when we brew it. And so the effect of that is the, the yeast in the fermentation eats all of the sugar and creates alcohol. So while it's 10%, it's also not too heavy because the sugar doesn't add too much heavy body to the beer. It can still remain kind of lean and clean and drinkable. Now, that said, it is a strong beer, so you have to be careful. You know, mm -hmm. don't drink this beer on an empty stomach. Um, <laughs> pair with food, also split it with a friend. You know, those. that's what we usually recommend to people. But the extra is... Uh, is a dark beer. It has some nice mm, fruit and dark berry notes, a little bit of cocoa, caramel character as well, spices, but it's not like a stout. It's not heavy. It's not, it's not this, you know, um, tar oil in your mouth. It's, it's mm -hmm. quite, it's mm -hmm. quite, um, crisp and refreshing. yet very much and, and refreshing also a little bit sweet. You know, it does have a kind of a sweet taste and, this beer, you know, well, both of our beers are good anytime with anything, but but we usually say this beer's better with, you know, heavier like meats, mm, you know, red sauce pasta, anything that needs a little bit more strength mm -hmm. in the in the drink that's being paired with it. So normally, if you want to drink red wine, you can swap that out with the beer extra, and you won't go wrong. And it's also a great dessert beer, you know, to have with chocolate, chocolate cake or tiramisu. You can kind of um, enjoy it at the end of the meal as well. It doesn't overpower the others compliments as well. So that's right. Yeah, I'm oh, sold. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a yeah, I know me too. <laughs> this is a hard episode right now. Uh, I'm, I'm more partial to the darker beers. You know, I, I like, and it's yeah. depending on the time of the year. Yeah. If it's, if it's summer, I enjoy a lighter beer with, with, uh, right. that's something more refreshing. And my, my wife is big about eating seasonally and she's always trying to get us to, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to eat more stews. Obviously when it's a little hot, like colder, my mom, obviously Mexican cook, she will cook a hot stew in the middle of July. And she's like, that's what we're having, right. you know, and but in terms of like yeah. beers, I I prefer I can drink a dark beer even if it's summer and I'll enjoy it just as well as I do in the fall. Right. So that's that's my go to yeah. right there. Yeah. I I'd like I would love to try both of them. I haven't. So, Walter, uh, you, you, you can be the, the judge okay. there. I mean, it's been a while since I had him, but um, because I've been following the monks since like the the release of the uh, 2015, the, the, which we'll touch in a, in a minute, the, the the album that you recorded. But mm -hmm. let's finish talking about beer. Um, do you taste banana with the Belgian yeast that is used in beer, or is that just like some people taste banana and some people don't taste banana? No, it can definitely be there. Um, it depends on the yeast variety. The banana is not too, I wouldn't say it's very strong in our beer. That is, the yeast in the fermentation eats the different sugars from the malt, you know, that, that, are, mm -hmm. that are there from the brew. And when it eats those sugars, it creates carbon dioxide gas. It creates alcohol. And it also kind of like creates these other flavors. Um, 
you know, like we kind of have some uh, byproducts from the digestion that we that we have, you know, the yeast also create different gases and flavors, but the ones from the yeast taste and smell good. <laughs> <laughs> and we bottle them and sell them to people. That's right. Yeah. But the, but the banana flavor is quite characteristic of Belgian style yeasts. That is Belgian style yeasts usually like to ferment at a pretty warm temperature compared to other yeast okay. strains. And they, they produce kind of proportionally a lot more flavor. And so oh, okay. what's very interesting about Belgian style beers is you have a lot of flavor and, and complexity and nuance from the yeast. Whereas a, a, a lager beer, like a lot of the German style beers, they're much more clean kind of, and what you're tasting is the malt and the hops mm -hmm. and the yeast adds very, very, very little usually. Um, what's also neat about our beers is they're, they're re-fermented in the bottle. So that means when we bottle them, we add a little bit more sugar and a little bit of fresh yeast. And then the yeast eat that sugar and carbonate the beer naturally in the bottle. Wow. Kind of like the way champagne is made. Um, that Wait, helps so you, preserve is, the beer. Sorry. Okay. It's, so that is that is how you get carbonation in the bottle, uh, because I I've known that um, that method is like one of like several different ways of doing it, but um, I didn't know that it would preserve it for longer. That's well, it helps uh, the 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 secondary fermentation they call it the fermentation in the bottle helps remove any oxygen that might be there, and that helps preserve the beer, nah, uh, prevent oxidation later on. But it also adds another layer of complexity of flavor, which which you don't get in beers where they're they're carbonated in the tank from, you know, CO2 gas from a big tank. That is that, that's fine. And, and, you know, those beers are good. But but when you referment in the bottle, you get more flavor and more complexity. And over time, the beer then will kind of evolve and, and improve and change like um, a champagne or a wine. Right. Interesting. Yeah, that's right. Although, generally speaking, even our beer, it's better fresher. You know, you don't, right. you could hold on to it for 10 years, but it would be, it would be very different and not, not everyone would enjoy it like that. Some people would <laughs> like the dark beer at 10 years. And, and I've had, I've had, I had pretty recently one from maybe 2012, 2013, and it was good, but it was different. You know, it, it does change over time. And, As a brewer, I usually like to drink our beers fresh. Uh, but the, the other interesting thing is in Italy, um, we sell more of the blonde than the extra. That is, Italians generally like lighter, clearer beers. Mm, but in the United States, we sell equal amounts of, of the blonde and extra. And sometimes we, we sell even more extra than blonde because people want to complex interesting strong mm -hmm. beer <laughs> yeah i would say like when when you mentioned the the german styles of beer like your pilsners and your uh doppel box and all these other um laggers that are very crisp very clean very refreshing mm -hmm. but you're not tasting a lot of anything <laughs> um right they're very drinkable but you know you can knock them down and, and and not be like, well, did you know, like, did you taste, uh, you know, dark berries or anything? It was like, no, it's beer. Just drink the beer. Yeah. But if you want something a little bit more character and a little bit more, like you're drinking a little bit of history, then uh, maybe uh, Nurcia, uh, Birra Nurcia would be um, be a Good. Be you got it. That's right. That's how you say yeah. it. So I have to say that I'm glad that you guys went the uh, Belgian route because I had beer in Italy and it, I, I like their wine better than their beer with Birra Moretti, not necessarily that great. Um, it's, it's definitely an acquired taste, uh, not, not to trash talk <laughs> Italian beer, but let's just say that they do other things better. Um, yeah, they don't have a beer kind of tradition and culture. Um, there are actually a lot of craft breweries in Italy, more craft breweries in Italy than in Belgium, oh, really? um, which, which is surprising, but, um, it's a tradition that's kind of just starting to kind of take root and evolve. That is Italians, um, 
didn't brew historically, they would make wine, you know. Um, but it's starting to change, and, and some Italian craft breweries are making very good beers, but we're a little, you know, we're kind of behind the rest of the world and behind the United States. Um, I think the thing Italy has to work on now is uh, develop styles that are that are Italian. So, you know, an Italian craft brewery can copy an American IPA and, and even do it well, and that's not bad, but that's not exactly an Italian beer right. in the sense it's not rooted in the kind of tradition of the place. Or like a German beer. Uh, uh-huh. Our beers, that's right. Yeah, you know, they can brew beers well, but, you know, over time, I think, I hope that the, the beer culture and scene here will kind of become its own thing and not just copy uh, the trends from the United States or wherever. Right. Um, but Italy is now kind of getting interested in its own malt production, its own barley production for the malt, okay. and also growing its own hops. And some of the Italian hops that I've tried are quite good. That is, they, they're, they're different. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the same variety, they're, they taste different, but they're very nice. And we actually have started using some Italian hops in our beers. It's the same variety, but instead of being grown in Czech Republic, it's grown in in Italy, and and the quality is very That's high. That's great. Oh wow, this is where the terroir is going to come into place. Where, <laughs> wow, this That's is right. so yeah. interesting. It's such a, a world of like things that you when you get into it, the more and more you learn, the more and more you are fascinated. Like you said, it's a great uh, Venn diagram of cooking and science. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, so let's talk about in 2016, there, there was a 6.2 earthquake that affected central Italy, all the region of Umbria and destroyed so many ancient buildings. Um, how, how bad was it? Because I don't know, 6.2 in the, in the Richter scale is it's pretty bad. How bad it is. Yeah. Well, there were actually two earthquakes. There was one in August that hit the town of Amatrice, which is only about, 30 miles from here. Okay. Um, it flattened the whole town, the whole historic center. Oh, wow. And I think about 350, oh. 400 people died. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that was in August. And that was that was very tragic. There was also a lot of damage here in Norcia. And so we had to close the basilica. That mm-hmm. that was our church. Yeah. And about half of the monastery was, was condemned and closed, oh, no. even in August. Then Norcia had another earthquake in October, October 30th. And the epicenter was in Norcia, that earthquake. I think they were both above six on the Richter scale. Um, We had already moved out of town and were living on a mountainside property that we had purchased a few years before. But we definitely felt the earthquake in our cabins that we had constructed. And we came out and we saw the huge dust cloud over Norcia. Um, and when it cleared, we we saw that the bell tower of our basilica was gone. And, and you know, we knew then that it was it was very, very wow. bad and very serious. Uh, but we think kind of a miracle, a grace of divine providence was that in the Norcia earthquake, no one died. Um, oh, thanks be to God. We had already been hit by one a few months before, so a lot of people were living in trailers, living in, you know, even tents because they didn't want to live in their homes because they knew another earthquake could come, and a lot of their homes were already compromised. So that, and then also, I think just you know, grace and Saint Benedict's inter- intercession yeah. saved saved the uh, saved us, and no one died, which. Uh, it's really it's really strange and really kind of a miracle. There are some interesting stories of someone was standing right here and then for some strange reason, they walked a few yards to the left and then the earthquake hit and a huge rock fell right where they were standing, you know? Or they were in their house and they went to the next room, the earthquake hit and the part of the house where they were, like all fell out into the street, you know, two stories down. Um, wow. There's some kind of crazy stories like that. Um, but so, like I said, we were up here when the second earthquake hit. Um, all the priests of the monastery 
went down to town immediately because we thought for sure, you know, there are people who are dying who need uh, absolution, mm -hmm. you know, need to be anointed. Um, there wasn't, <laughs> but, uh, but, but the priest then did help rescue some of the people that were trapped and uh, some of the sisters in town, the poor Claire's, they were sort of stuck in their convent. And so we, we helped the firefighters get them out because okay. uh, we knew that they were there. Um, and then the rest of us were up here on the mountainside kind of watching and, and praying. Wow. Um, and I, I've, I've received the, the newsletter from, uh, from the prior, uh, and it's, it has been amazing to see all the progress that, that has happened since 2016. Um, I think in, in, um, in 2018, uh, father Cassian, uh, stop being the the prior and then now you have a new prior father benedict uh Nivakov. i hope i got his last name right um and um it's just a small, a small question what's the difference between a priory and a monastery Is, are they interchangeable sure so monastery is kind of like the the genus the umbrella okay. term um any place where monks live is a monastery uh That's in opposition or in distinction from a convent. A convent would be where friars or Franciscans, Dominicans live. Um, but monasteries are where monks live. And then under monasteries, uh, generally speaking, there's priories and abbeys. And usually a monastery starts out as a priory. And in its sort of process of growth and maturing and getting bigger and more established, uh, it'll eventually... God willing, become an abbey. So most of the kind of older, bigger, historic monasteries in Europe and in the United States even are, are abbeys. Uh, and a priory is just sort of like uh, on the way. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're in the end, we're all monks, you know, that's sort of the, the kind of critical gotcha. thing. So, so this uh, reconstruction effort, uh, it also included a, a 16th century church at Santa Maria Misericordia, which was one of the buildings that mm -hmm. didn't get as affected as the other buildings in town. Is, is that, was that in the property that you mentioned that you moved out after the August uh, earthquake? That's right. So there's this property a couple miles outside of town on the mountainside. It's an old Capuchin Franciscan convent, actually. And we we purchased it before the earthquake, and we weren't quite sure what we wanted to do with it. Maybe use it as a, a kind of a summer retreat getaway place. Because even in Norcia in the summer, there's lots of people, and we we experienced they, they like to have even concerts and um Like discoteca, they call it. Uh, like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. DJs all night in the, in the main piazza of Norcia, right outside of the basilica and the monastery. So uh, usually, by the time all the music stopped, we were getting up to go pray. Um, so we 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 kind of had a desire for even more silence and solitude, um, and we bought this property. But then, thankfully, we had the property when the earthquake hit, and. We first lived in the garden in, in a big tent um, and then created some, built some temporary structures and kind of, you know, established ourselves up here after the earthquake. The church, the church was standing. Uh, it was not in very good shape, but we had begun restoring it even before the earthquake. So we had consolidated some of the pillars and some of the vaulting. And that is really why it it remained on its feet and the roof did not cave in when the earthquakes hit. It was the only church in Norcia that still had a roof wow. after the earthquakes. Um, so, so did you take your yep. final vows in the temporary uh, church that you built? Yeah, in the wooden, in the wooden chapel. chapel. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really beautiful yeah. wooden chapel, yeah. by the way. <laughs> No, it's very nice. And we, um, we, what's really cool too, is we, we built a lot of that ourselves. We, we had help from friends and, you know, volunteers that wanted to help us, but we did a lot of the work for building that kind of 
wooden mini monastery ourselves in the in the first year after the earthquake and that that was a, a hard thing it was a, a big challenge and um you know there was a lot of suffering in that time after the earthquake but it also was very beautiful for for us as a community it helped really bring us together and really unite our our community spirit uh working in that common project and kind of really starting over with not very much you know we were able to recuperate some of our things mm -hmm. from the town but all yeah. the buildings had to be you know built from scratch and we're we're very grateful though for all the help that we had from benefactors all over the world we uh we we really relied on a lot of help and and we still do for the continuing restructuring yeah, talk about and Labora at a very high level <laughs> okay so for people that are uh, at home listening or watching uh, this um if they want to help the monks of norcha um what can they do to uh, support uh the the monks sure well we have a we have a monastery website so you can go onto our website nursia.org and you can make a donation to the monastery and that's one way to help we we are especially kind of grateful and and rely on regular monthly donations so even if it's something very small like five dollars ten dollars a month just the kind of uh regularity of that uh, is very helpful for for planning and and we we really kind of need regular supporters it doesn't have to be a lot but every little bit helps and the important thing is it's it's continuous and regular um you can also buy some of our beer we of course um get some of the proceeds from the sales of the beer we have a american online store where you buy the beer and it gets shipped to your house which is which is quite nice um that's the only way really to get it in the united states right now And we can ship to about 42 states. Um, there's a few that uh, put up too many barriers and, and make it difficult. But, uh, but most states, uh, we can get our beer there. And so many friends and supporters of the monastery buy our beer. And they, they of course, I think, I hope, enjoy the beer as well. But they also get some satisfaction knowing that they're, they're helping the monks. And what's also very neat is... They, they have the beer and then mm -hmm. usually they share it with friends or when they have people over. And so then they can kind of tell the story about the monastery or, you know, when I went to Norcia in 2015 yeah. and met the monks and had the beer and, you know, it really becomes a conversation piece. Part and, of hospitality, um, Benedictine The hospitality. beer is... <laughs> that's right, yeah. And we created it really that so that people would enjoy it with friends and family, you know, uh, Alcohol in general is something that helps, you know, relationships and conversation and, and communion, uh, you know, consumed in moderation. It's, it can be a helpful and a good thing. And we, we're really happy that people can spread the word about the monastery with the beer. And also, um, we hope, you know, come closer to each other and closer to God yeah. through and, it. Uh... I don't know. Uh, we we said we touched on Benedicta, Marian Chant from Norcia, um, which is an excellent album, by the way. Mm. It, uh, those chants. Uh, I don't remember the name of the musical director in, in in the monastery, but that has been one of my favorite albums to put just to like get into the mood of, of praying. Like Tota Pulcra es Maria. My goodness. I know that you do that as your daily life and you live that, but from a layman, that is just, it, it, it leads you closer to heaven. It's all I'm going to say. So check it out. Check the, the, the album as well. It was recorded by Demon Ford music who has recorded the Benedictines of Mary queen of the queen of apostles, the Dominican sisters of Mary mother of the Eucharist. So very high quality recordings and, um, such great voices i'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> i'm fanboying right now oh, the, I, i mean the 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 tradition of the chant is is very beautiful and part of the reason i became a monk is because i too was 
really drawn by the beauty of Gregorian chant. And what's what's beautiful about Gregorian chant is it kind of teaches you through the music what prayer should feel like. That is, it kind of creates the dispositions in your body through the music. You know, music is something that is it's rational, but it also hits you on a sub-rational level. It kind of enters into your 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 soul and your body, and it really kind of forms you and teaches you. I think the Holy Spirit really has written this music to make you know what what prayer uh, and kind of communion with God should should feel like, and that's what's so unique and special about it. Well, it also separates you from the ordinary. Right. I mean, the fact that we're bombarded by not very good music on a daily basis to just and, and we've had this conversation about how a reverent mass with chanting or with like proper hymns elevate you and take you away from the ordinary that, that you hear every day and really um, get you closer to God in, in that sense. And it's a uh, we're led by beauty. Right. We're we're uh, we're attracted by it. And and the, the same thing at our home parish when the first time that we went there for a mass, there, there wasn't necessarily Gregorian chant, but it was a very um, beautiful uh, choir singing that was just like you felt different when you walked into that church. The, 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 yeah. the, the environment it was very inviting to just lift the soul to God and yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for everything that you do, and the same with your beer. You know, it's it's like you said, it's about creating a product that really makes us come together and and enjoy each other's company and the company of God. Well, Father, this has been a fantastic conversation. We uh, really appreciate how generous you've been with your time today. Um, and uh, there's uh, if you could give our listeners your uh, your blessing that would be fantastic benedictio dei omnipotentis patris et fidei et spiritus sancti descendat super vos et maniat sempre amen amen god bless you thanks again i'll pray for you guys and for all the listeners and we also ask you to pray for us we're we're monks and you think, oh, we're holy, but we also sure. need your prayers. So please pray for us as well. Thank you so much for your time. You got it. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Have a good have a good evening and uh, make sure to order the beer. Even Walter, I think you need to try it. Try it again. Again. And, uh, yes. Well, we'll make a tasting yeah. video of it and put it on good. YouTube. Great. <laughs> I look forward to seeing that. Thank you so much, Father. Thanks, guys. Take God care. Bless. God bless you.